First, before I start, I want to say thank, thank you to Mike and the, the elders that asked me to come and to share with you guys today. Uh, I also wanted to say to the, the whole church family, uh, thank you for sharing your pastor with me uh, because he very much is a sounding board and a minister to me and to my life and to my family. And so uh, I just if you are here um, being a church member, there are times where you kind of forget uh, that the men that lead this church, they, they are people, and they have, they have drags on their time. Uh, and in Union Hill Baptist Church, I just want to tell you that you have a fantastic pastor and a great staff. Um, and, and so, was, was that good? Is that what you wanted me to say? Okay, okay, okay. No, he, he also, uh, he kind of dumped on me uh, the responsibility of sharing that uh, the men of the church got together about three weeks ago and decided to start a yard work ministry. And you'll know that they volunteered by that if they're wearing a teal shirt. So if you need your grass cut, if you need something like that done, just any of these guys wearing a teal shirt, if you'll grab one of them, they'll take care of that for you. Um, so uh, when Mike asked me to, to preach, I'm, I'm still not real sure uh, how I feel about this. Um, he said that there are people in his church that, that suffer and are struggling in, in a way that he couldn't really speak into. So they're having a really tough time. Jason, why don't you come talk to them? And so I was like, I understood where he was coming from uh, because I'm fixing to start talking. And as I talk, um, I need you to understand that, that your struggle may be much deeper and much greater than my struggle. So I'm not saying that because I've been through certain things and my family's been through certain things over the last weeks and months and years that that, that somehow diminishes anything that God is allowing you to walk through right now, okay? It's just that I've got the mic. And, and so I'm not saying your issues are not incredible. I'm just telling you what's kind of going on with us. I also need to tell you that I'm going to say some things and these things that I'm going to walk us through. By the way, if you've got a Bible, um, I'm going to need you to go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you haven't, if you're kind of new here and you're here because, you know, your grandmother drug you here, uh, Romans is in the back of your Bible, so it'll be in the New Testament. Um, ch chapter 8 will be after chapter 7, and I don't know how to help you with that. <laughs> it just occurred to me how incredibly elementary I might be sounding for some of you, but I'm just going to tell you, basically, like... When I preach, I try, to, I try to be real smooth and have everything kind of flow, and this morning is not going to be that. This morning is basically a collection of thoughts that when God has put me in incredibly difficult times, I, I, and I'm not talking about like Sunday morning hard times where you're still able to look at somebody in the face and go, I'm so good, how are you? No, no, no. I'm talking about times where, you, where your faith is up in the air. When, when you feel like you gave God a blank check and said, God, you fill it out, and you feel like God just tore the check up. The, the, the kind of times that lead people to do something that you may or may not have heard of called faith deconstruction. Where people are taking everything that they know and everything that they love, and they're just kind of setting it to the side. And they're throwing their hands up, and they're going, I don't know if I can believe anymore. And in those times in my life, going running to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 
where Paul, under the inspiration of the, script, of the Holy Spirit, has the audacity to say, we know that all things work together for good for those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. And looking at life and going, this ain't good. The things that I'm going to tell you for the, the rest of our time walking through this little part of this passage, uh, they're just they're things that I haven't learned. They're just things that I'm learning. If you will allow me the grace of being a Christian in progress. So uh, the, our story really doesn't start like a year ago or 10 years ago. It, somewhere around 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, we had, I'd not even met my wife, but I knew I was going to have a little boy one day. Because the propensity of my family was not to have girls, it was to have boys. Okay, I got five brothers. Odds are pretty good. So I have a boy. And his name was going to be Jack. And he was, he was, knowing me, he was not going to be very athletic, but he was going to be very competitive. And, and then I met, I met my wife, Jill, who was the lady out there. If you had your picture taken, that was her. Okay. Um, and then I was like, whew. So my kid might have a chance to look good. Okay. And, and so I, it was, his name was going to be Jack. He was going to play golf. Uh, he was going to be pretty good looking. He might not be like the stupidest guy in class. And so uh, everything was set. Uh, we got married. We tried, we tried, we tried, we tried, we tried. It was a lot of fun, but we weren't, we weren't going where we wanted to go, right? And, and so we were, we were actually on our way to a, an adoption conference in Louisville, Kentucky, when we got a phone call from our doctor saying, you've got this wrong and this wrong and this wrong, and y'all cannot have kids. And so all the, it, I wish I were better at this. You know what that like is like, though, if you have built up your future to look like a certain thing, and then all of a sudden, that thing goes away. Jack was gone before he ever got here. And so um, I'm just, I'm just like, I, I wish I could find this in Scripture, but I can't. I'm just telling you this. If you're here, and that's part of your story right now, if you will open your heart to adoption, and just tell your closest friends. In my experience, every time we have done that, the Lord has opened up doors. And so we started telling our, our circles, okay, our, our folks, not everybody. We didn't broadcast it. No Twitter, no Instagram, okay. We just, our folks, hey, this is what's going on. We, we want a family, but the Lord's not opening that door. And so we're going to go this route. And before you know it, we got a phone call from somebody and the little girl's name was Betsy, and the little boy's name was Sam. They were about six and four years old. Um, they spent a month with us while one of their guardians was dealing with cancer. Um, and then for reasons that I'm still not sure of, we were going to get them the beginning of the summer. This is 20, 2011. Folks around this area knows what happened in the late spring of 2011, right? Uh, we lived right up the road in Concord. Uh, we lived three doors down from Steve's Grocery. The tornado came. It hit our house. And so we can't, we can't adopt kids without a house. That's one of the requirements, right? And so we, we wanted these kids real bad. We, we found a house uh, in Rock Mountain. We bought the house. And um, the day that school started, those kids moved in with us, Betsy and Sam. And within a matter of a few days, I was daddy. And that was mom. And it was awesome. Um, their guardian at the time had, had, had kept sending questions and we were doing paperwork and um, on Wednesday before Thanksgiving their guardian called and said I want to come get the kids and, and she had not signed over termination of rights papers 
and so we could not say no. She came and, and got the kids, took them back home, and then called me Sunday afternoon, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, after four months of daddy and mama, and said, you're never going to see these kids again. It was, it was, this is nowhere in my notes, and I'm not even real sure why I'm saying it, other than to say, I've been in church since I was nine months in the womb, and for the very first and only time in my life, I understood why God had to tell me in his book, don't murder. Because at that moment, this is the most unpreacher thing I will ever say, at that moment, I'd have killed her. I'd have killed her. And because I was a Southern Baptist pastor, I went to church that Sunday night. And I walked into a group of 90 people in Bayview, Alabama, and I read Romans 28. And I laid my Bible down, and I said, I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know why. And one of the things that I'm learning, because let's be honest, some of you, like, the pictures are the picture. Did y'all see this picture up here? They're some of the cutest kids I've ever seen. That's Aaliyah Brown. Perry. Y'all, I'm from Hueytown. I remember when she was born. Perry Brown's grandbaby is gorgeous up here. Some of y'all, like, what I'm saying, these issues... For right now in your life, they're at such a distance. I'm talking Latin for you. And I love you enough, and the Bible speaks clearly enough about your suffering for me to tell you, just give it a minute. And these things will come home. Just give it a minute. Because the suffering and the struggle for all of you, it looks so different. For some of you, you want today to be Mother's Day, and it's not. And you don't want to be here. For some of you, today's Mother's Day, and it stings because you're 65 years old and your daughter won't very talk to you because of the kind of mother that you were. Or your mother didn't do a very good job and she blamed everything on you. Or you have no idea you are where, why you, you're here. For, for me... One of the things that I learned was that in the middle of my pain and struggle, I can either take kind of the view of pain and suffering that, that karma would have you to take and say this is all just coming back around, except for the fact that when I read Romans chapter 5 and says because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I now have peace with God. He is not angry at me anymore. And Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says that there is no condemnation for those that have been justified by the faith in Jesus Christ. God's not angry at me. He's not punishing me for being a jerk sometimes. You're not not having kids because God is angry at you. So quit looking at your pain and your struggle, and it is real. We're not Buddhist in here. Your suffering is honest and it's real. But it's not payback because you quit going to church when you were in college. You can choose to look at your pain and suffering from a humanistic viewpoint. That is to say that your struggling right now is simply 
a matter of the wrong atoms not colliding into each other at the right time. And if you choose to take the view of pain and suffering and struggle, that there is no design to it, there is no purpose in it, I'm afraid that in a matter of days or weeks or years, your suffering will crush you. Because this passage, along with other passages like James chapter 1, when James wrote his letter, he says that we're to consider it all joy when we experience trials. Why? Because trials are the things that God uses most often in our lives to get us where he wants us to be. And just like a nail is at home only when it goes into the wood, but it requires the hammering. Christ did not die so that you can come to him and he could fix all of your circumstances. Christ died to come and make your heart love him. And so we struggle because in a, I started to say in America and then somebody's going to send Mike an email and he's going to forward to me and I'm going to delete it. I love our country. But we are spoiled and soft and woefully unbiblical so that we view pain and suffering. We see pain and suffering and struggle as something that we're supposed to fix or avoid. And scripturally, suffering are the tools in the hands of God that he uses to refine our souls. And so we go running away from the struggle, away from the pain. Because surely I'm not meant to struggle. Surely I'm not meant to suffer. Surely God doesn't want this for me. Except, so often, what we want is an answer and not Christ. And so on Mother's Day, Again, it just occurred, it like occurred to me, like I'm not mad. <laughs> I'm not even close to mad. I just don't want your tough time to bury you. We try to find the easiest way out. Instead of understanding that the very thing that you and I run from and avoid are the things that Christ wants to use to reveal his goodness to us. And so the struggle that we had was, was um, was alleviated by the goodness of God. By the way, by the way, by the way, I never found an answer. And I loathe, I detest pastors that will tell people this morning, that if you have enough faith, it's all going to come out in the end. There is no guarantee you'll get pregnant. There's no guarantee your family will be fixed. And I know this is like the worst Mother's Day sermon you've ever heard. <laughs> Except to tell you God's goal for your suffering is that you find God. 
God's goal for your struggle is that you would end up in fellowship with his son. And so, but in our particular case, Joy did come in the morning, and she came in the form of Addison. I can promise you this now. As a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving person, if you come and try to take her away, I will kill you. (laughs) And it'll be legal. And they'll never find you. She came, um, uh, we got her right before she turned three. And I also want to tell you that there are issues that come along with adoption. Now, this is just for about four folks in here. The rest of y'all play along and think about the weather, okay? You can chuckle at the guys wearing the shirts. If you're considering adoption right now, if you're considering adoption, most of the time in our experience, one, either the husband or the wife, one of them is still kind of very hesitant. Because people will say, you know what, uh, biologically they may not be yours, and so there's issues. Do y'all know any fathers and mothers that have had biological children that had issues with their own biological kids? So get over it. The idea that you think if we, if we have to go and adopt children, that these children are some go, somehow going to be stepchildren or plan B children is to say you must ignore the issues that happen in the very nursery of this church where perfectly normal families have their normal kids and you can't wait to give them back after an hour with them. Addison came along, and, uh, and we love her. We love her. Uh, I was pastoring a church. We had Addison. Everything was great. Um, and found out my, my mother had cancer for the third time. Uh, my wife's father had a hip replacement that had gone bad. And his body literally started rotting from the inside. We lived in Carrollton, Georgia. And I loved Carrollton, Georgia. I'm fixing to say something, and you're going to think that I'm, I'm demeaning a church, and I am not. Uh, I loved the church that I loved the church that I pastored. Loved it to the point where we actually made an offer on another house. We were moving my wife's parents to Carrollton so that we could help care for them. Okay? We were, I was going to die at that church. I was dying in Carrollton. I was set. I was ready to go. I was there until a a situation very similar to Acts 15. If you studied Acts 15, uh, Luke says that in Acts 15, a very sharp disagreement arose among the brethren. Well, guess what happened in Carrollton to Jason Bowman and the church that I pastored? A very sharp disagreement arose. There was nothing immoral, nothing unethical. We simply had a disagreement about the direction and, and a couple of doctrinal issues. And I went from, in a matter of a, about two weeks, we went from, we are dying in this church. We love this place. We love these people. That church, as much as any church I've ever seen, was the embodiment of faith family. And then I had a, a church leader sit in my driveway and look at me and say, you might want to know what you're employment options are. 
my whole life I was going to be a pastor. My mother has a picture of me at six years old standing behind a pulpit. It's what I, you ask Jason Bowman, what do you do? Who are you? The answer is I'm a pastor. Until one of the leaders looks at you and says, you might want to know what your options are. And again, I go running back to this passage and I just look and I stare at it. All things, God? Are you schizophrenic? Are you lying? All things work together for good? Keeping in mind the context, context meaning go up a few verses to Romans 8, 17. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified. Verse 19, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed to us. Verse 23 of Romans chapter 8, for we groan within ourselves eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of these broken, messed up, infertile bodies. The whole context of Paul saying all of these things, God is going to weave and work together so that he roots out certain sins in your life and makes you more like Jesus Christ. And we see them. And without this promise, you're going to have a long day. You're going to have a long day. But in the moment of the struggle, and you're going to... So now I'm teaching middle school. I was not going to be part of a church split. He, he told me that, and so March the 23rd, I resigned. Didn't know where to go. Started sending out resumes. The first and only call I got back was in Northport, Alabama. A principal said, Jason, your resume looks really odd. Why should I hire you? The only thing I've ever done is ministry. Why should I hire you? I go, well, I'm not a jerk and I'm not an idiot. <laughs> exactly what I said to him. I'm not a jerk and I'm not an idiot. He goes, you're hired. <laughs> and so today at Eccles Middle School in Northport, Alabama, Jason Bowman sits with 147 13-year-olds and we talk about life for 50 minutes at a time. They haven't learned a thing. <laughs> and I still struggle with this. I still struggle because I don't see a reason. But it helps me see Jesus. And so, I want to not wrap up, but point towards the end by taking this passage and just going, okay, so if, if, if God's promise is that all things at the end of this, He will work for good, so much so that verses 29 and 30, my glorification through my suffering, is a past tense issue, already settled, right? Philippians 1, 6, 
when I begin something in you, I will complete it. Believer and Christian, those that are called according to his purpose, those that love God, it will not crush you. You will suffer and you will struggle. And there is such thing in the place for the Christian heart and mind as tear-filled joy. If you don't have a box for that, you need to build that box. You need to, to, to carve out this place that says you will at different times in your life find it necessary to hold up one hand up to God and the other hand not up here praising but slapped over your mouth so you don't say something that you are judged for later. This kind of, this kind of it's not crushing me and it's not killing me. I will make it through it, but I have no idea how. So he says, it's, it's finished. Verse 31 what then are we to say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? My whole life I heard that and I read that and the answer was supposed to be this unsaid, nobody's against us until I live life. There are times, y'all, when my own body is against me. There are times, I'm so jacked up as a person, there are times as I am preaching when my own mind can be against me. It just occurred to me that main. Maybe why I'm not at a church right now. Like it's coming out of my mouth. I'm like, hey, well, you know what? You never know. But what? So look at Paul's questions. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 33 Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? I've always wanted to read that and say, nobody. People say stuff about you, people blame you. People hold stuff against you. The answer can't be nobody because it doesn't line up with anything. Verse 34, who is the one who condemns? These three questions that I go in the middle of my suffering, in the middle of my pain, and wondering, what is God doing with all of this? I want to draw your attention towards Paul's response to these awful questions. If God is for us, who, who can be against us? If you think the key to your success or your victory in your pain and suffering is for you to button down the hatches, John Wayne up, and get through it using Saban's process, then you are not going to be a successful Christian. Because his, his response in verse 32 is this, He did not spare his own son Jesus, but gave him up for us all. The, the, the next kind of question right who can bring a god uh, accusation against god's elect god is the one who justifies who is the one who condemns christ is the one who died but even more has been raised do you see what he's doing right here every issue of pain and suffering and struggle that we tend to go through instead of looking everywhere else for the answer paul's response is always look what god did for you in jesus christ so for three of you, or five of you, or seven of you, life has gotten hard, life has gotten heavy, and you are just about to throw away your teal shirt and walk out the door. Don't let go of Jesus. There are accusations, and there will be accusations. Don't let go of Christ. There are sufferings and there are strugglings. Do not let go of Jesus Christ. Don't have a, we had baby dedication. Was that Sarah down here with three kids? I've been away so long. 
How old is the oldest one? Where is that? The Hooper side is a whole section now. <laughs> How old is your oldest one? Five. That's perfect. I don't know her yet, but I love her. Don't have a five-year-old faith. This is what I mean by that. In the midst of this pain and suffering, this is where Jill and I have had to be. Five, this is five-year-olds. You buy me an ice cream, we're eating supper in an hour, not right now. Why do you hate me? <laughs> Can we go swimming? Baby, it's 40 degrees. Do you not love me? I got Lance and Mike talking to me right now, which is dangerous, because he told me 30 minutes. It's 1128. I don't, I'm being careful right here. But practically speaking, churches are filled right now with people. Can we get pregnant? Not right now. Why don't you love me? Can I get a promotion? Will my daughter forgive me? Not right now. Don't you love me anymore? When God's response in Romans chapter 8 is accusations and blame and wait and suffer and trial and all these things get dumped at you, his point is to remind you not of your goodness or of your ability, but of his goodness and his grace. Do not see the grace and goodness of God through your current circumstances. If you always try to see God through the now, you will be blind to God. Because, because it's not life. And it's not his plan. Another lesson that I'm learning is that pain and suffering in this, it's not so much that they have a way of reminding you that you're not in control. It's that they have a way of reminding you that you never were. You see, in January of last year, I was pastoring the church I wanted to pastor. And in February of last year, I was looking for a job with my house on the market. And nothing about eternity changed. But I felt like it did. Because I had fallen into the trap of thinking that God sits on a throne that's a love seat. That there was space on there for me too. And it's just not. It's just not. And so, I, today is hard for some of you. Y'all, I, I haven't touched other, uh, y'all have got issues, I've got other issues. Mother's Day in particular, today in particular, has a way of shining the spotlight. And the things about spotlights is they're great when the show's going well. But when the show gets out of kilter, you want to cut the spotlight off, and Mother's Day won't allow you to do that. I used to hate Father's Day. When I was a student pastor, it was the one day of the year I would miss. My father's a good man, but our relationship was not 
just wasn't for a long time. And I couldn't stomach another 35-minute sermon about how God was supposed to use men. I couldn't do it. Today's spotlight, it, it will really kind of be left up to you. The weight of this, the intensity of this, of what you do with Jesus Christ in the middle of all this, it will crush, it will crush your faith. Unless, unless you decide right now that your faith is in Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel is never, the gospel was never meant to be kind of this buffer between you and struggling. The, the gospel gives meaning to suffering. And you'll decide that. The issues with your kids or your grandkids or your parents, you will decide right now whether or not you allow that to crush you or whether or not that is the weight that drives the nail home. If you've heard everything that I've said and you're saying to yourself right now, I need to recommit my life to Christ so that then I'll get pregnant, you haven't heard a word I've said. You need to recommit your life to Christ because Christ is beautiful and worthy and he died for you. Because Christ is enough. If your pain and your suffering and your struggling is just about to drive you away, then take your eyes off your suffering for one second and put your eyes back on Christ. And so I, I talked with Mike about how to close because I've been a minister since I was 19. And wrapping up sermons is by far and away the worst thing that I do. Because this is the closest I will ever come to having a baby. You take this idea, this thought, this passage, and you try to give it birth on stage in front of people. And for some of you, you will stand up in just a second, and you will come and shake somebody's hand, and you will walk out the door, and you will say, good job, and I, will, I, I won't know what to say to you. Thanks. But for others of you who are just about to walk away because of the, the weight sitting on top of you, you will return to Jesus, and you will be satisfied. And so now is the time where if we're going to have music, we can have music. But if we're not going to have music, I don't know how, how you operate in your soul. Most of you did not need music in the background to ask your wife to marry you. You didn't need music in your life to take a job. You just kind of knew it was the thing to do. You knew it was where God was leading you, and so you did it. So can, I, can I just tell you? It's the beauty of filling in. I make the mess that he'll have to clean up. Can I just tell you that if the Lord is leading you to do something, whether it is come back to Christ, take some struggle to him, beg God for a child knowing that there will be tear-filled tear joy in your life, don't wait for him to start singing. You just be obedient. what you know the Lord has led you to do. No matter what that looks like for you. So for the next, for the next minute, I'm going to stand down here. Your pastor 
is over here. Y'all have got elders all over this room. I'm going to cut my mic off. If you need prayer, if you just, I don't know what you need to do. But most of y'all have been coming to this church long enough to know what this time is for. I just want to ask you to be obedient. 